we present Monkey. An abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. Chapter 14 The hunter and Tripitaka were still wondering who had spoken, when again they heard the voice saying, The master has come! The hunter's servant said, That is the voice of the old monkey, who was shut up in the stone casket of the mountainside. Why, to be sure it is, said the hunter. What old monkey is that? asked Tripitaka. This mountain, said the hunter, was once called the Mountain of the Five Elements, but after our great Tang dynasty had carried out its campaigns to the west, its name was changed to Mountain of the Two Frontiers. Years ago, a very old man told me that at the time when Wang Meng overthrew the First Han dynasty, heaven dropped this mountain in order to imprison a magic monkey under it. He has local spirits as his jailers who, when he is hungry, give him iron pills to eat, and when he is thirsty, give him copper juice to drink, so that despite cold and short commons, he is still alive. That cry certainly comes from him. You need not be uneasy. We'll go down and have a look. After going downhill for some way, they came to the stone box in which there was really a monkey. Only his head was visible, and one paw, which he waved violently through the opening, saying, Welcome, master, welcome, get me out of here, and I will protect you on your journey to the west. The hunter stepped boldly up, and removing the grasses from monkey's hair, and brushing away the grit from under his chin. What have you got to say for yourself? he asked. To you, nothing, said monkey. But I have something to ask that priest. Tell him to come here. What do you want to ask me? said Tripitaka. Were you sent by the Emperor of Tang to look for scriptures in India? asked Monkey. I was, said Tripitaka. And what of that? I am the great sage, equal of heaven, said Monkey. Five hundred years ago I made trouble in the halls of heaven and Buddha clamped me down in this place. Not long ago, the Bodhisattva Quen Yin, whom Buddha had ordered to look around for someone to fetch scriptures from India, came here and promised me that if I would amend my ways and faithfully protect the pilgrim on his way, I was to be released, and afterwards would find salvation. Ever since then, I have been waiting impatiently night and day for you to come and let me out. I will protect you while you are going to get scriptures and follow you as your disciple. Tripitaka was delighted. The only trouble is, he said, that I have no axe or chisel, so how am I to get you out? There is no need for axe or chisel, said Monkey. You have only to want me to be out and I shall be out. How can that be? asked Tripitaka. On the top of the mountain, said Monkey, is a seal stamped with golden letters by Buddha himself. Take it away, and I shall be out. 
Tripitaka was for doing so at once, but the hunter took him aside and said there was no telling whether one could believe the monkey or not. It's true, it's true, screamed monkey from inside the casket. At last, the hunter was prevailed upon to come with him and, scrambling back again to the very top, they did indeed see innumerable beams of golden light streaming from a great square slab of rock, on which was imprinted, in golden letters, the inscription Om Mane Padme Hum. Tripitaka knelt down and did reverence to the inscription, saying, If this monkey is indeed worthy to be a disciple, May this imprint be removed, and may the monkey be released, and accompany me to the seat of Buddha. But if he is not fit to be a disciple, but an unruly monster who would discredit my undertaking, may the imprint of this seal remain where it is. At once there came a gust of fragrant wind that carried the six letters of the inscription up into the air, and a voice was heard saying, I am the great sage's jailer. Today the time of his penance is ended, and I am going to ask Buddha to let him loose. Having bowed reverently in the direction from which the voice came, Tripitaka and the hunter went back to the stone casket and said to Monkey, The inscription is removed. You can come out. You must go a little distance, said Monkey. I don't want to frighten you. They withdrew a little way, but heard Monkey calling to them, Father! Father! They did as they were bid, and presently heard a tremendous crushing and rending. They were all in great consternation, expecting the mountain to come hurtling on top of them, when suddenly the noise subsided, and Monkey appeared. Kneeling in front of Tripitaka's horse, crying, Master, I am out! Then he sprang up and called to the hunter, Brother, I'll trouble you to dust the grass wisps from my cheek. Then he put together the packs and hoisted them onto the horse, which on seeing him became at once completely obedient. For Monkey had been a groom in heaven, and it was natural that an ordinary horse should hold him in great awe. Tripitaka, seeing that he knew how to make himself useful and looked as though he would make a pretty tolerable sramana, said to him, Disciple, we must give you a name in religion. No need for that, said Monkey. I have one already. My name in religion is Aware of Vacuity. Excellent, said Tripitaka. That fits in very well with the names of my other disciples. You shall be Monkey Aware of Vacuity. The hunter, seeing that Monkey had got everything ready, said to Tripitaka, I'm very glad that you have been fortunate enough to pick up this excellent disciple. As you are so well provided for, I will bid you goodbye and turn back. I have brought you a long way from home, said Tripitaka, and cannot thank you enough. Please also apologize to your mother and wife for all the trouble I gave, and tell them I will thank them in person on my return. Tripitaka had not been long on the road with Monkey, 
and had only just got clear of the mountain of the two frontiers when a tiger suddenly appeared. Roaring savagely and lashing its tail, Tripitaka was terrified, but Monkey seemed delighted. Don't be frightened, master, he said. He has only come to supply me with an apron. So saying, he took a needle from behind his ear and, turning to face to the wind, made a few magic passes and instantly it became a huge iron cudgel. It is five hundred years since I last used this precious thing, he said, and today it is going to furnish me with a little much-needed clothing. Look at him. He strides forward, crying, Cursed creature, stand your ground! The tiger crouched in the dust and dared not budge. Down came the cudgel on its head. The earth was spattered with blood. Tripitaka rolled off his horse as best he could, crying with an awe-struck voice. Heavens! When the hunter killed that stripy tiger yesterday, he struggled with it for hours on end. But this disciple of mine walked straight up to the tiger and struck it dead. True indeed is the saying, strong though he be, there is always a stronger. Sit down a while, said Monkey, and wait while I undress him. Then when I am dressed, we'll go on. How can you undress him, said Tripitaka. He hasn't got any clothes. Don't worry about me, said Monkey. I know what I'm about. Dear Monkey, he took a hair from his tail, blew on it with magic breath, and it became a sharp little knife, with which he slit the tiger skin straight down and ripped it off in one piece. Then he cut off the paws and head and trimmed the skin into one big square. Holding it out, he measured it with his eye and said, A bit too wide. I must divide it in two. He cut it in half, put one half aside and the other round his waist, making it fast with some rattan that he had pulled up from the roadside. Now we can go, he said, and when we get to the next house, I will borrow a needle and thread and sew it up properly. What has become of your cudgel? asked Tripitaka, when they were on their way again. I must explain to you, said Monkey. This cudgel is a piece of magic iron that I got in the dragon's palace, and it was with it that I made havoc in heaven. I can make it as large or as small as I please. Just now I made it the size of an embroidery needle and put it away behind my ear where it is always at hand in case I need it. And why, asked Tripitaka, did that tiger, as soon as it saw you, crouch down motionless and allow you to strike it just as you chose? The fact is, said Monkey, that not only tigers, but dragons too dare not do anything against me. But that is not all. I have such arts as can make rivers turn back in their course, and can raise tempests on the sea. Small wonder, then, that I can filch a tiger's skin. When we get into real difficulties, you will see what I am really capable of. Master, said Monkey presently, it is getting late. Over there is a clump of trees, and I think there must be a house. 
We had better see if we can spend the night there. Tripitaka whipped his horse, and soon they did indeed come to a farm, outside the gates of which he dismounted. Monkey cried, Open the door! And presently there appeared a very old man, leaning on a staff. Muttering to himself, he began to push open the door, but when he saw Monkey, looking with the tiger skin at his waist, for all the world like a thunder demon, he was terrified out of his wits, and could only murmur, There's a devil at the door. Sure enough, there's a devil. Tripitaka came up to him just in time to prevent him hobbling away. Old patron, he said, you need not be afraid. This is not a devil, it is my disciple. Seeing that Tripitaka at any rate was a clean-built, comely man, he took comfort a little and said, I don't know what temple you come from, but you have no right to bring such an evil-looking fellow to my house. I come from the court of Tang, said Tripitaka, and I am going to India to get scriptures. As my way brought me near your house, I have come here in the hope that you would consent to give me a night's lodging. I shall be starting off again tomorrow before daybreak. You may be a man of Tang, said the old man, but I'll warrant that villainous fellow is no man of Tang. Have you no eyes in your head? shouted Monkey. The man of Tang is my master. I am his disciple. And no man of Tang, or sugar man, or honey man either. I am the great sage equal of heaven. You people here know me well enough, and I have seen you before. Where have you seen me? he asked. Didn't you, when you were small, cut the brushwood from in front of my face and gather the herbs that grew on my cheek? The stone monkey in the stone casket, gasped the old man. I see that you are a little like him, but how did you get out? Monkey told the whole story, and the old man at once bowed before him and asked them both to step inside. Great sage, how old are you? the old man asked when they were seated. Let us first hear your age, said Monkey. A hundred and thirty, said the old man. Then you are young enough to be my great-great-grandson at least, said Monkey. I have no idea when I was born, but I was under the mountain for five hundred years. True enough, said the old man. I remember my grandfather telling me that this mountain was dropped from heaven in order to trap a monkey divinity, and you say that you have only just got out. When I used to see you in my childhood, there was grass growing out of your head and mud on your cheeks. I was not at all afraid of you then. Now there is no mud on your cheeks and no grass on your head. You look thinner, and with that tiger skin at your waist, who would know that you weren't a devil? I don't want to give you all a lot of trouble, said Monkey presently, but it is five hundred years since I last washed. Could you let us have a little hot water? I am sure my master would be glad to wash too. When they had both washed, they sat down in front of the lamp. One more request, said Monkey. Could you lend me a needle and thread? 
"'By all means, by all means,' said the old man, and he told his old wife to bring them. Just then, Monkey caught sight of a white shirt that Tripitaka had taken off when he washed and not put on again. He snatched it up and put it on. Then he wriggled out of the tiger-skin, sewed it up in one piece, made a horse-face fold, and put it round his waist again, fastening the rattan belt. Presenting himself to Tripitaka, he said, "'How do you like me in this garb? Is it an improvement?' "'Splendid,' said Tripitaka. "'Now you really do look like a pilgrim.' "'Disciple,' added Tripitaka, "'if you don't mind accepting an off-cast, "'you can have that shirt for your own.' They rose early next day, and the old man brought them washing water and breakfast. Then they set out again on their way, lodging late and starting early for many days. One morning they suddenly heard a cry, and six men rushed out at them from the roadside, all armed with pikes and swords. Halt, priest, they cried. We want your horse and your packs, and quickly too, or you will not escape with your life. Tripitaka, in great alarm, slid down from his horse and stood there speechless. "'Don't worry,' said Monkey. "'This only means more clothes and travelling money for us.' "'Monkey, are you deaf?' said Tripitaka. "'They ordered us to surrender the horse and luggage, and you talk of getting clothes and money from them.' "'You keep an eye on the packs and the horse,' said Monkey, "'while I settle matters with them.' You'll soon see what I mean. They are very strong men, and there are six of them, said Tripitaka. How can a little fellow like you hope to stand up against them single-handed? Monkey did not stop to argue, but strode forward and, folding his arms across his chest, bowed to the robbers and said, Sirs, for what reason do you stop poor priests from going on their way? We are robber kings, they said. "'Mountain lords among the benevolent. "'Everyone knows us. "'How comes it that you are so ignorant? "'Hand over your things at once, "'and we will let you pass. "'But if half the word no leaves your lips, "'we shall hack you to pieces "'and grind your bones to powder.' "'I too,' said Monkey, "'am a great hereditary king.' and lord of a mountain for hundreds of years, yet I have never heard your names. In that case, let us tell you, they said. The first of us is called Eye that sees and delights. The second, Ear that hears and is angry. The third, Nose that smells and covets. And the fourth, Tongue that tastes and desires. The fifth, mind that conceives and lusts, the sixth body that supports and suffers. You're nothing but six hairy ruffians, said Monkey, laughing. We priests, I would have you know, are the lords and masters, yet you dare block our path. Bring out all the stolen goods you have about you and divide them into seven parts. Then, if you leave me one part, 
I will spare your lives. The robbers were so taken aback that they did not know whether to be angry or amused. You must be mad, they said. You've just lost all you possess, and you talk of sharing our booty with us. Brandishing their spears and flourishing their swords, they all rushed forward and began to rain blows upon Monkey's head. But he stood stock still and betrayed not the slightest concern. Priest, your head must be very hard, they cried. That's all right, said Monkey. I'm not in a hurry, but when your arms are tired, I'll take out my needle and do my turn. What does he mean, they said. Perhaps he's a doctor turned priest, but we are none of us ill, so why should he talk about using the needle? Monkey took his needle from behind his ear, recited a spell which changed it into a huge cudgel, and cried, Hold your ground, and let old Monkey try his hand upon you! The robbers fled in confusion, but in an instant he was among them, and striking right and left, He slew them all, stripped off their clothing, and seized their baggage. Then he came back to Tripitaka and said, laughing, Master, we can start now. I have killed them all. I am very sorry to hear it, said Tripitaka. One has no right to kill robbers, however violent and wicked they may be. The most one may do is to bring them before a magistrate. It would have been quite enough in this case if you had driven them away. Why kill them? You have behaved with a cruelty that ill becomes one of your sacred calling. If I had not killed them, said Monkey, they would have killed you. A priest, said Tripitaka, should be ready to die rather than commit acts of violence. I don't mind telling you, said Monkey, that five hundred years ago when I was king, I killed a pretty fair number of people, and if I had held your view, I should certainly never have become the great sage equal of heaven. It was because of your unfortunate performances in heaven, said Tripitaka, that you had to do penance for five hundred years. If now that you have repented and become a priest, you go on behaving as in the old days, you can't come with me to India. You have made a very bad start. The one thing Monkey had never been able to bear was to be scolded, and when Tripitaka began to lecture him like this, he flared up at once and cried, All right, I'll give up being a priest, and won't go with you to India. You needn't go on at me any more. I'm off. Tripitaka did not answer. His silence enraged Monkey even further. He shook himself, and with a last, I'm off, he bounded away. When Tripitaka looked up, he had completely disappeared. It's no use trying to teach people like that, said Tripitaka to himself gloomily. I only said a word or two, and off he goes. Very well, then. Evidently, it is not my fate to have a disciple, so I must go on as best I can without one. He collected the luggage, hoisted it onto the horse's back, and set out on foot, leading the horse with one hand and carrying his priest's staff with the other in very low spirits. He had not gone far when he saw an old woman carrying a brocaded coat and embroidered cap. 
As she came near, Tripitaka drew his horse to the side of the road to let her pass. "'Where are you off to all alone?' she asked. "'The Emperor of China has sent me to India to fetch scriptures,' said Tripitaka. "'The temple of the great thunderclap where Buddha lives,' said she, "'is a hundred and one thousand leagues away.' You surely don't expect to get there with only one horse and no disciple to wait upon you? I picked up a disciple a few days ago, said Tripitaka, but he behaved badly, and I was obliged to speak rather severely to him, whereupon he went off in a huff, and I have not seen him since. I have a brocade coat and a cap with a metal band, said the old woman. They belong to my son. He entered a monastery, but when he had been a monk for three days, he died. I went and fetched them from the monastery to keep in memory of him. If you had a disciple, I should be very glad to let you have them. That is very kind of you, said Tripitaka, but my disciple has run away, so I cannot accept them. Which way did he go? asked the old woman. The last time I heard his voice, it came from the east, said Tripitaka. "'That's the way my house lies,' said the old woman. "'I expect he'll turn up there. "'I've got a spell here, which I'll let you learn. "'If you promise not to teach it to anyone, "'I'll go and look for him and send him back to you. "'Make him wear this cap and coat. "'If he disobeys you, say the spell, "'and he'll give you no more trouble and never dare to leave you.' Suddenly the old woman changed into a shaft of golden light, which disappeared towards the east. Tripitaka at once guessed that she was the Bodhisattva Quen Yin in disguise. He bowed and burned incense towards the east. Then, having stored away the cap and coat, he sat at the roadside practicing the spell. After Monkey left the master, he somersaulted through the clouds and landed right in the palace of the Dragon King of the Eastern Ocean. I heard recently that your penance was over, said the dragon, and made sure you would have gone back to be king in your fairy cave. That's what I'm doing, said Monkey. But to start with, I became a priest. A priest, said the dragon. How did that happen? Quen Yin persuaded me to accompany a priest of Tang, said Monkey, who is going to India to get scriptures, so I was admitted to the order. That's certainly a step in the right direction, said Dragon. I am sure I congratulate you. But in that case, what are you doing here in the East? It comes of my master being so impractical, said Monkey. We met some brigands, and naturally I killed them. Then he started scolding me. You may imagine I wasn't going to stand that. So I left him at once and am going back to my kingdom. But I thought I would look you up on the way and see if you could give me a cup of tea. When he had been given his cup of tea, he looked around the room and saw on the wall a picture of Chang Liang offering the slipper. Monkey asked what it was about. You were in heaven at the time, said Dragon, and naturally would not know about it. The immortal in the picture is Huang Si Kung, and the other figure is Chang Liang. Once when Shi Kung was sitting on a bridge, 
his shoe came off and fell under the bridge. He called to Chang Liang to pick it up and bring it to him. Chang Liang did so, whereupon the immortal at once let it fall again, and Chang Liang again fetched it. This happened three times without Chang Liang showing the slightest sign of impatience. Huang Shikung then gave him a magic treatise by means of which he defeated all the enemies of the House of Han and became the greatest hero of the Han dynasty. In his old age, he became a disciple of the immortal Red Pine Seed and achieved Tao. Great sage, you must learn to have a little more patience if you hope to accompany the pilgrim to India and gain the fruits of illumination. Monkey looked thoughtful. Great sage, said the dragon, you must learn to control yourself and submit to the will of others if you are not to spoil all your chances. Not another word, said Monkey. I'll go back at once. On the way, he met the Bodhisattva Quen Yin. What are you doing here? she asked. The seal was removed and I got out, said Monkey, and became Tripitaka's disciple. But he said I didn't know how to behave and I gave him the slip. But now I am going back to look after him. Go as fast as you can, said Bodhisattva, and try to do better this time. Master, said Monkey, when he came back and found Tripitaka sitting dejectedly by the roadside. What are you doing still sitting here? And where have you been, said Tripitaka. I hadn't the heart to go on, and was just sitting here waiting for you. I only went to the Dragon of the Eastern Ocean, said Monkey, to drink a cup of tea. Now, Monkey, said Tripitaka, priests must always be careful to tell the truth. You know quite well that the Dragon King lives far away in the east, and you have only been gone an hour. That's easily explained, said Monkey. I have the art of somersaulting through the clouds. One bound takes me a hundred and eight thousand leagues. It seemed to me that you went off in a huff, said Tripitaka, because I had to speak rather sharply to you. It's all very well for you to go off and get tea like that, if you are able to, but I think you might remember that I can't go with you. Doesn't it occur to you that I may be thirsty and hungry too? If you are, said Monkey, I'll take a bowl and go and beg for you. There isn't any need to do that, said Tripitaka. There are some dried provisions in the pack. When Monkey opened the pack, his eye was caught by something bright. Did you bring this coat and cap with you from the east? he asked. I used to wear them when I was young, replied Tripitaka, saying the first thing that came into his head. Anyone who wears this cap can recite scriptures without having to learn them. Anyone who wears this coat can perform ceremonies without having practiced them. Dear Master, said Monkey, let me put them on. By all means, said Tripitaka. Monkey put on the coat and cap, and Tripitaka, pretending to be eating the dried provisions, silently mumbled the spell. 
My head is hurting, screamed Monkey. Tripitaka went on reciting, and Monkey rolled over on the ground, frantically trying to break the metal fillet of the cap. Fearing that he would succeed, Tripitaka stopped for a moment. Instantly the pain stopped. Monkey felt his head. The cap seemed to have taken root upon it. He took out his needle and tried to lever it up, but all in vain. Fearing once more that he would break the band, Tripitaka began to recite again. Monkey was soon writhing and turning somersaults. He grew purple in the face and his eyes bulged out of his head. Tripitaka, unable to bear the sight of such agony, stopped reciting and at once Monkey's head stopped hurting. You've been putting a spell on me, he said. Nothing of the kind, said Tripitaka. I've only been reciting the scriptures of the tight fillet. Start reciting again, said Monkey. When he did so, the pain began at once. Stop! Stop! screamed Monkey. Directly you begin, the pain starts. You can't pretend it's not you that are causing it. In future, will you attend to what I say? asked Tripitaka. I will. Indeed, I will, said Monkey. And never be troublesome again, said Tripitaka. I shouldn't dare, said Monkey. So he said, but in his heart there was still, lurking, a very evil intent. He took out his cudgel and rushed at Tripitaka, fully intending to strike. Much alarmed, the master began to recite again, and Monkey fell writhing upon the ground. The cudgel dropped from his hand. I give in! I give in! he cried. Is it possible, said Tripitaka, that you were going to be so wicked as to strike me? I shouldn't dare! I shouldn't dare! groaned Monkey. Master, how did you come by this spell? It was taught me by an old woman whom I met just now, said Tripitaka. Not another word, said Monkey. I know well enough who she was. It was the Bodhisattva Quen Yin. How dare she plot against me like that? Just wait a minute while I go to the Southern Ocean and give her a taste of my stick. As it was she who taught me the spell, said Tripitaka, she can presumably use it herself. What will become of you then? Monkey saw the logic of this, and kneeling down he said contritely, Master, this spell is too much for me. Let me go with you to India. You won't need to be always saying this spell. I will protect you faithfully to the end. Very well then, said Tripitaka. Help me on to my horse. Very crestfallen, Monkey put the luggage together and they started off again towards the west. If you do not know how the story goes on, you must listen to what is told in the next chapter. You 
You've been listening to Monkey, an abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones.